you ever felt you're being watched sometimes? Have you ever had a cold shiver run down your spine? Sometimes we go through that. Sometimes we look for answers to questions we don't really truly understand. Like, are we truly alone in the universe? Is there life after death? This world is weird. It gets weirder by the day. And in that weird are questions that we have as curious beings known as humans. Tonight, we look into some of those questions and get a little weird. Because we all are just a tad bit weird. Tonight on Weekend Weird. Welcome to Weekend Weird, the show that deals with the mundane and mysterious out in this world. Uh, we return to you uh, right before the Labor Day holiday. How y'all doing? I hope y'all enjoy your Labor Day weekend coming up, the last weekend of summer. What the hell summer go? <laughs> where did, where did, where did it go? I don't know. Oh, if you heard that voice, it's uh, my returning co-host, Ogul. Hey, say hi. Hello. Alright, and if you know, if Ogul's here, you know, we talk about either some conspiracy oh. theory or, <laughs> or something out of this world, extraterrestrial. And you are correct. We are talking about the infamous case of the crash at Roswell, New Mexico back in 1947. You know, in hindsight, we probably should have started with this case. Probably, yeah. yeah. I mean, but there was other cases that we wanted to get to. This is just uh, such a nexus case, you know? Yeah, this is like ground zero for the current UFO conspiracy theories or sightings out in this world. I mean, there was earlier cases uh, before Roswell. Uh, Foo Fighters of World War II, Kenneth Arnold. Lion King to all my Disney movies. Exactly, but this is... Disney movies. This is... This is the blockbuster. Dude, we're starting up the current blockbuster of UFO... Uh, theories and UFO sightings. This is the jaws of, <laughs> of it all. This is and, the one that's the mother that started it all. <laughs> and as you guys are gonna hear throughout this uh, podcast, it's I think is the most uh, debated upon. Yeah, yeah. Of uh, all the ones. Yeah, yeah. Some people say it was unidentified flying object with uh, alien bodies that crashed in the desert outside Roswell, New Mexico. Um, some will go through the government theory that it was a weather balloon. Um, this is going to be a big debate between the both of us. Yes. <laughs> this is, uh, this is, I'm not going to tell you where I lead until we get to the end. <laughs> but, stay tuned. <laughs> yes, yeah, stay tuned. But, well, cool. How you been, man? Good, good. I'm glad to be doing one of these again. Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, I... I feel like every friend should have a friend who makes podcasts just so they can be on it. Yeah. And I'm glad you're my guy to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I try, especially after the Scientologists were running after me. <laughs> and for some reason, a bunch of people. And, you got some uh, weird knocks at your door at night? Yeah, weird knocks. You know, people staring at me. Just And uh, for some reason, this show was 
popular in the Netherlands, and especially when you're what? Yeah, I I posted a rant. If, if you go back to my list uh, on SoundCloud, which you're listening from right now, uh, I posted a rant on the Chicago Fire Soccer Club and what the crap they're doing, and a bunch of people from the Netherlands seem to been listening to it. It's a it's my highest listened to podcast and it's just me 20 minutes bitching moaning and complaining about a fucking soccer give club. the people what they want man yeah. <laughs> that's that's the podcast you should make I, I didn't know MLS was big in the Netherlands so. just talking shit you know <laughs> oh shit but that's a that's a different thing we're we're talking about aliens and crashes and and sheep <laughs> so, right so Let's get into this big ball of shit, shall we? Now, for people who aren't familiar with what Roswell, New Mexico is, supposedly in July, June, into June, July, 1947, right after World War II, uh, debris was found on a ranch outside of Roswell, New Mexico. Um, it was first reported to the, to the papers that it was a flying saucer. Then a day or so later, it was retracted and said, no, it's a weather balloon. And it kind of ended right after that until like the late 70s, early 80s, when UFOlogists started looking to more of this story. And the original people who were there had came out and said, no, a weather balloon didn't crash. Here's the truth. It was an unidentified flying object. And there was bodies from a, from a planet, not from here, that had crashed and died. And the government has held this secret in for about 30 to 40 years. And it really started a lot, th this UFO craze that's been going on long, long back now. Also with um, the film uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, because it came out right when the, the original article that redacted the, um, the weather balloon crash it just came off the heels of uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, also Star Wars. Right, there was uh, a national interest in natural like interest. aliens and UFOs. Yeah, so... And I mean, just in that amount of time, that's enough, I'd imagine that's long enough for some of the people who, who were soldiers at the time that this happened, that they would have retired by now, by then. Right. So they could kind of freely talk about what they saw and, you know, recount some of their um, encounters right. of not only what they personally saw, but what they overheard from other soldiers and right. what have you. Yeah, because this story is also not only first-person accounts from just a couple of people. Right. But most of the story is hearsay. I heard it from well, this person. I heard it from my father. But you else. don't want to make hearsay sound too negative in this context. You know right. what I mean? Like, it wasn't just like they heard it whispered and, you know, like a, in a lunchroom or something. No, they heard it from the mouths of people who saw it. Right, right. And yes, information does send, tend to lose some of its fidelity mm -hmm. when it gets transferred from one mouth to another. I understand that, but I just wanted to make a point to say, like, I don't think the hearsay in this, in the article that I was just reading before you put this on, kind of made it sound like that too. Right. As if, like, it's not, re it's not good information because it's hearsay. Right. You know. Doesn't mean always it's always bad. Yeah, but also when you do hearsay, the story kind of changes a little bit. You even said it yourself. Well, but, right. But th with this case, 
is the fact that you're that people are saying that they were bodies from beings, not from this earth. Mm -hmm. So the military has an explanation for it. Um, they say people are misidentifying what they were, but you know, some of them are given good mm. descriptions of what these things are. And then you got the muddy waters of the fakers and the hoaxers coming in with this story, uh, which we'll get to later on. Profiteers. Profiteers who want to make it, and the fact that this is turned like Roswell to tell Roswell, um, which is good for them. I'm sure they're still UFO. making money out of this. Oh, yeah, yeah. They get the, the UFO, the International UFO Museum is in Roswell, New Mexico. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, sure. it's a tourist it's a tourist site. We should uh, visit. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. It's the only reason I go to New Mexico. <laughs> right. <laughs> but let's get started with the actual story. Let's tell people the actual story. Of the Roswell UFO. Yeah. By the way, sorry for that sucking sound you hear every couple of minutes. I'm trying to quit smoking, so I decided to be a, a vapor. Yeah. Vape nation. Yes. It'll kill you the same way. Um, Just slower. Yes. The Roswell UFO incident took place in outside Roswell, New Mexico, in June or July. The actual date, the actual crash, and people are not sure. Um, in 1947, an airborne object crashed near on a ranch near Roswell, New Mexico. Explanations of what took place is based on both official and unofficial communications. Through, all throughout the crash is attributed to a secret UFO military, excuse me, secret U.S. military Air Force surveillance balloon by the U.S. government. The most famous explanation of what occurred is that the object was a spacecraft containing extraterrestrial life. Since in the late 1970s, the Roswell incident has been subject to much controversy and conspiracy theories arisen about the, about the event. What so is, how long did it take between um, the crash and when it was reported? Like, is there a the, description the, of how many days it took? It varies. See, here's the thing. When you're looking at this, it varies. One, it says the crash took place at the end of June uh -huh. and then was reported either before 4th of July or after or on 4th of July. It depends on what, like even the art, the newspaper articles that came out during that time, mm -hmm. one points to one date, one article, and the other article points to another date. Gotcha. That's where it starts getting like really confusing. It's just like, well, okay, when was the first initial report that something had crashed on near this ranch? When was the first, when was first noticed to the authorities? Mm -hmm. And that's when it just starts going. Mm -hmm. This is I don't know. This is, so, from one article, this is from one article, from Roswell incident, uh, Roswell online. On the evening of July third, nineteen forty-seven, Dan Wilmot, a respected business owner and wife, were sitting on their front porch when they saw a bright saucer-shaped object with glowing lights moving across the sky at 400 to 500 miles per hour. Dan Wilmot estimated that the flying, unidentified flying object was about 20 to 25 feet across. The flying object appeared from the southeast and disappeared to the northwest. Dan Wilmot reported this, his unusual sighting to the Roswell Daily Record. That's one report. Let's see if I can find the other one. 
So these, who released this report? The one you this just read? This is from, this is from the Roswell Daily, what, from Dan Weasel. This on the Roswell, That's the Wilmot, excuse me. Unfortunate last name. Yeah, Wilmot. Oh, not no, Weasel? Not Weasel. Why okay. did I say Weasel? I don't know. Uh, Wilmot. He <laughs> said this happened on July 3rd, 1943. Mm-hmm. This is from another report. I mean, to be realistic, if you're gonna, if you're an alien, you're gonna crash into America. Do it on the fourth. A, a little. Yeah, you can blend in. <laughs> Actually, Halloween. We're probably tip, tip of the year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah right. you can blend in. You can just blend in and just like, hey, right. well, while I'm here, I can collect some candy. This <laughs> is so, <laughs> um, from another report on June fourteenth, nineteen forty-seven. William Brazo, a foreman working on the Foster Homestead. Notice clusters of debris approximately 30 miles north of Roswell, New Mexico. This date, or about three weeks before July 8th, appeared in later stories featuring Brazil. But initial press release from the Roswell Army Airfield said the find was sometime last week from July 8th, suggesting Brazil found the debris in early July. Brazel told the Roswell Daily Record that he and his son saw a large area of bright wreckage made up of rubber strips, tinfoil, and rather tough paper sticks. He paid little attention to it, but returned on July 4th with his son, wife, and daughter to gather up the materials. Some accounts describe Brazel as having gathered some of the materials earlier, rolling it together, and stashing it under some brush. The next day, Brazel heard reports about flying disc and wondering if that was what he picked up. On July 7th, Brazel saw Sheriff Wilcock and whispered kind of confidential like that he may have found a flying disc. Another account quotes Wilcock as saying Brazel reported the object on July 6th. So it was fed to this guy that it might have been a flying disc? That wasn't his assumption to begin with? He just said it was debris. Right. He didn't know what it was. But, it, like, other people's opinion kind of... Could have been... Let, yeah. Other, other people's opinion colored his own opinion to make him believe that it was a flying disc. Flying disc, yes. Like, like because they, I guess the other story, the first story I told, had gotten out. Mm-hmm. They said that... What was it? Wil, mm-hmm. Wilmot mm-hmm. had saw what he thought was him and his wife saw a bright saucer. There was also another report of two um, nuns seeing the same flying saucer around the same day, flying from north southeast to the northwest. They were working at a hospital mm-hmm. for the sick that was near Roswell, New Mexico. So you got a lot of various reports of something different going on, but. When it was found, that's that's one of the confusing things about the story. No one knows what date the initial debris was found, mm-hmm. was first discovered. Yeah, oh, no, that matters. That's yeah, right. and that's really matters. Like, if either the government pushing out misinformation, uh-huh. which points to it's not a weather balloon, it's something else, or people just going. Well, it could be a weather balloon, but who cares? The thing is, this is a weird story in the mm-hmm. fact that, um, 
you know, the, the, weather, the weather balloon explanation. For the army and the military, mm-hmm. if it was a weather balloon, they don't really want that getting out either. Right. If it was a UFO, they obviously don't want that getting out. So, like, their hands are tied both ways. You know what I mean? Right. Like, they can't... They have to confirm that they have this technology with the balloon, which I'm sure wasn't just a weather balloon. It was probably a, a militarized thing. Yeah. I'm sure it had some military implications right, the, to it. The, one, of the theory, one of the theories that goes out, I mean, the military is probably much taken, that this was some type of balloon to measure uh, Soviet uh, nuclear bombs tests. Right. Otherwise, want to get it out. why is the military fucking with a weather balloon? Yeah. Come on. I mean, 1947, get out of here. Right, right. Um, they got other things to worry so about. So it, it tells me whatever this is, is more than what they're saying, the government's saying. Right. But it's just um, weird to me, like, it's one of those situations where they're damned either way, you right. know? Mm-hmm. Whereas usually they could spin it off, say it was mortars or, or not mortars, uh, flares and blah 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 right you know but, but we do know this mm-hmm. on july 8th 1947 roswell army airfield public information officer walter hout released a press release stating that personnel from the field's 509th operations group had recovered a flying disc which had clashed crashed on a ranch near roswell as described on july 9th 1947 roswell daily record the balloon, which held up, if it, if that's it's how it worked, must have been between 12 feet long. Brazel felt measuring the distance by the size of the room with, in which he sat. Rubber was smoky gray color and scattered over about an area of 200 yards in diameter. When the debris was gathered up, tinfoil, paper, tape, and sticks made a bundle about 3 feet long and 7 seven or eight inches thick while the rubber made a bundle of about 18 to 20 inches long and about eight inches thick in all he estimated the entire lot would have been weighed maybe five pounds there was no sign of any metal in the area which might have been used for an engine no signs of any propellers of any kind there were at least one paper fin had been glued onto some of the tin foil. there were no words to be found anywhere on the instrument both the while, there were letters on some parts. Considerable scotch tape and some tape with flowers printed upon it had been used in the construction. No strings or wires are bound, were found, but there were some eyelids on the paper to indicate that some sort of attachment had been used. Okay, you have the Army Information Officer saying that to a newspaper, we have found a flying saucer. The next day, they're describing what is a pretty much a kid-made weather balloon. Weather balloon, What right. the fuck is going on? Scotch tape. What the With hell are you talking about? Scotch tape and what the fuck other? You have an army, an army information officer saying that you, we found this flying saucer. The next day, no, it was a weather balloon. Damage control, Or right. a balloon, which pretty much just sounds like a balloon um, made by a fifth grader. Yeah, yeah. For a science project. I mean, I guess the question here is, why did he even talk to the newspaper on the first day without running it by the army anyways. You know what I mean? I think he did. And they told him to say this? I think they were just like, either they told him to say, I think we found a flying saucer, or no one talked to him at all. And he made a judgment because no one knew what the fuck this thing was. I mean, this is an information so, officer. Yeah, so th- that's what th- this is where it gets a little foggy for me. Because 
You're having someone go to your local, you're having a military public relations officer go to your newspaper and say that this is a flying saucer. So either one, you believe this is a flying saucer, this is something that you've never seen before, or number two, you don't know what the fuck this is. So it tells me, this ain't no weather balloon. We thought Spicer was bad. <laughs> Little did we know. Um, yeah, no, that's very interesting. I mean, I could it have been where was he like about to retire or something, and he's just like, let me drop this bombshell on the American public. Could it have been some sort of rebellious act? I don't know. Like it boggles my mind that he would say that to a newspaper. It makes no sense to yeah, me. Yeah. Um... He ended up staying on the military, so he was on for a few years. Uh, <laughs> he actually founded the International UFO Museum, where he resided as president. Uh -huh. Oh, we gotta get back to that. Okay, so let's go to back to the actual debris. Mm -hmm. So you have the foreman. They go out there. They try to find. They find this this stuff. That's pretty much this debris. That's pretty much stated. So the Army Air Force gets involved. They send out Major Jesse Marceau, mm -hmm. the intelligence officer of the 509 Bomber Group, which was involved in the recovery of the wreckage, which was initially transported to Roswell Army mm -hmm. Air Force Field. Then July 8th happens, they said the wreckage is a flying saucer. Who says? That's what Walter Howe says. Mm -hmm. So they send Jesse Marceau to collect that back, collect the evidence, and from some like, even with Jesse Marceau with the initial collecting of the um, the debris, debris yeah. they say either he he's with someone, he's with someone playing clothes, he's with other military officers, he's with MPs. Every story is different. Who Jesse Marceau is with that day to collect the debris. So. That is the CIA an institution at this point? The the CIA, I believe. Oh, let me look. Like, is there any other agency besides yeah, the military? The, the, yeah, well, there's the FBI. The FBI uh, was around back then. Okay. Yeah, the FBI was way more around that then. Uh, the predecessor of the CIA. The O and I. O S. OAS. Oh, okay, okay. So there were there was some agency. I'm just wondering, like, were they involved as well? Because uh, you say people in like plain clothing, like could those have been just agents, of, uh, like be. intelligence September agents? September eighteenth, the CIA was founded mm. September eighteenth, nineteen forty-seven. So two months after. How convenient. Two months after, uh, so it would be under the jurisdiction of the OAS. Okay. Um, they're still around, and then they become the CIA. I see. I see. Uh, but do you know what I mean? Like those civilian. People could have been right. from could've one been of those OAS, agencies. Yes, yeah. FBI. Uh, <clears throat> Colonel William Blanchard, commander of the 509 Bomber Group, he's the one that issues the press release stating that the wreckage of the crash disk had been recovered. <clears throat> A second press release is issued from the office of General Robert Roger Ramsey, commander of the 8th Air Force at Fort Worth Army Airfield in Fort Worth, Texas, within hours of the first press release. The second press release rescinds the first press release and uh, claims that the officers of the 509 Ball Group, Ball Group had incorrectly identified a weather balloon in its radar reflection as a cast disc. Walter, what have you done? 
Or whatever the guy's name is. Like it's like throwing up. Like, and the rest of the guy, what the fuck is wrong with you? What the hell is wrong with you? Pounding his fist on this. What the fuck, Kanye? You can screw up a weather balloon. I, I imagine the, the character from uh, Spider-Man. The oh, J. Jonah, yeah, Jonah yeah, Jameson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like smoking a cigar. Yeah. Like, what the hell have you done? <laughs> but seriously, this is a serious question. How do you confuse a weather balloon? Any type of weather balloon. With a flying disc. I mean, the, the CIA is not running covert ops. That's the OSA even... is about to become the CIA at that time, and any covert operation, there's no air force, so there's no covert operations going through unless they're being handled by the United States Army. The thing, Nick, the question is how do you confuse? The question isn't how do you confuse it. The question is. How do you not make sure your response to this, your press release, is checked by multiple levels of people above it, it, you yeah. before you say something like this? Mm -hmm. That's the question. Mm -hmm. There's a chain of command in the army. Like You don't just go out there spouting what your opinion of what you think you saw is. Right. You know, that's just got to be doctored, mm -hmm. you know, and then, and then it's released. Right. This isn't, you know... Uh, Again, to bring it to the current administration, this is the times of Kellyanne Conway with her half-truths and whatever. This is back in 1947. Like, information given to the public is is clad, ironclad. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the part that I don't understand. It's not how do you confuse it. It's how do you come out and say these things to the public. Right, right. And even though people, like, especially the military... They're run by human beings. Human <clears throat> beings make mistakes. But still, you don't go up the food chain, the chain command, and be like, hey, we found a flying saucer. Right, and like this isn't... Flying saucers weren't a new thing in America's consciousness. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The public had pretty big interest in in this. Right. Right? Well... So you Somewhat. make this. I mean, it, it well, the Foo Fighters and stuff happened in nineteen well, in, in we, World War Two. People had heard those stories, but it wasn't really like that big of a thing. I mean, Kenneth Arnold, his um, his incident happened a couple of months before Roswell, mm -hmm. but it still wasn't the major. What was that again? Kenneth Arnold. He he was the one that first coined the phrase "flying saucer." I got you. Um, which will be in a future episode of Weekend Weird. <laughs> um, he should have trademarked that shit. He could have made millions. You might have. Good business acumen. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, so UFOs really wasn't in the, the public lexicon at that time. No? It, it, no, okay. no, it was... You had a few people that were interested and wanted to do more research, but not, not as big. I mean, the major stories, like... The stories we've already covered come later. Um, the Hopkinsville incident. The, the, so yeah, you're right. Yeah. I guess okay. I see. I see what you mean. Yeah. So I, I don't know the history of this stuff as well as you do. So I guess if if the <clears throat> information officer didn't look at it from that perspective to say like this is uh, you know information we must doctor and not right. release to the public, he just didn't think about it that way back then. Right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So they say it's the U.S. military says it's a weather balloon contradicting their first press release. They show a picture of Jesse Mansola, famous picture, sure. him holding the, the weather debris. Um, that's it. Case closed. 
Coming up next, or nope. <laughs> Skirt. Like, Earth, death is more than this story. Because everyone thinking this case closed, right? Um, years later. In the 70s. And during the 70s, between 1978 and the early 90s, UFO researchers such as Stanton T. Freeman, William Moore, Carl Preflock, and a team of Kevin D. Randall and Ronald R. Smith interview hundreds of people who claim to have the connection to the events at Roswell. Stanton T. Freeman ends up catching up to around the 70s, Jesse Marcel. Okay. Uh, he asked specifically about the Wait, Roswell. is it Freeman, the guy who ran Project Blue Book? No, I don't think no, so. He's okay. a famous ufologist. Okay, okay. Uh, he's a civilian investigator uh, and professor of ufologist. Okay, okay. One of the most famous ones. Um, he catches up with Jesse Marceau. Him, and they start, he started asking questions. And Jesse Marceau's story from the um, original explanation from the U.S. military, that is a weather balloon, becomes a totally different story. Mm-hmm. I'll give you some tidbits. Jesse Marceau had said that the debris that was captured outside that ranch was something of an of a, of a extraterrestrial nature. Mm-hmm. He begins telling the story <laughs> of the fact that um, he takes some debris initially when he first goes in contact with him. And he takes it back to his home. Mm-hmm. And um, he shows it to his son. I'll give you a quote from Jesse Marcel himself. He brings home some of the stuff to his son and he shows it, he does start doing tests with it. He states that some of the material would not burn. The stuff weighed nothing, it was so thin, it wasn't any thicker than a tinfoil in a pack of cigarettes. It wouldn't bend. We even tried making dents with it with a 16-pound sledgehammer. And there was still no dents in it. Officers had been stationed at Wright Patterson Air Force Base where they had taken the wreckage from Roswell. They initially never said where they were taking the wreckage, mm-hmm. even though one newspaper report said that they were taking it back east. And another newspaper reports it said they claimed to find later. It was like, oh, we're taking a Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Um... That's where they took the debris, and at the time of the incident, had supported Jesse Marceau's claims. His son, who later became a doctor, Jesse Marceau Jr., who was 11 years old at the time, accompanied his dad with some of the retrieval efforts. Dr. Jesse Marceau Jr. had produced detailed drawings of hieroglyphic-like symbols that he saw on the surface of some of the wreckage. Dr. Marceau testifies regularly on his belief that the UFO of some time had crashed at Roswell. Jesse Marcel also tells a story that the original records that he brought to his son, he ends up bringing it back to his office. So he brings it back to his office to show his commanding officer. This is the day after the first press release. Okay. So he brings it, sits it on his desk, sits it in a desk in his military officer's room. He goes to step out, military officer's like, what you saw, you did not see. This was a weather balloon. That's the story we're coming up with. Jesse Marceau goes, okay, but what about the wreckage? What wreckage? Oh, shit. He goes back into the <laughs> office complete, complete denial. 
the box where the wreckage was uh-huh. it is gone and in its place is parts of a weather balloon or some sort of balloon. In comes the press, the picture we saw of him holding the balloon, that's where he got that picture from as per Jesse Marcel. Right. And what reason, if any, does this man have to lie? Here's the thing. Looking up Jesse Marceau's record, he, um, his military officers, his commanding officers said he does have opinion to stretch the truth a little bit. Okay. Like, one incident, like, <laughs> Jesse Marceau, he tells Stan Freeman that he was on, um, multiple... He had shot down multiple uh, enemy aircraft during World War II, which wasn't true. He was not a pilot. Okay. He was not a pilot. It's a bit more than just stretching the truth. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's just lying. That's just lying. So, <laughs> I'm just imagining Justin Marceau just like, you know, I was on a commercial air for a cloud. We were being chased by Japanese Zeros. I was on a wing using, using my uh, gun, uh, finger guns. Gotcha. That was one thing that he had told Stanton Freeman and other UFOologists that he was an Air Force pilot and shot down. I mean, Army Air Force pilot and shot down uh, multiple zeros during World War Two. Was he like in good mental health at the time? I mean, he was good. I mean, he was old, yeah. <laughs> but there's nothing to say that he was in he had any dementia or something. Dementia whatsoever. Um, but his Air Force, his Army Air Force records had stated that he has the pink the the he can stretch the truth sure. <laughs> a little bit, but stretching the truth and saying that this is an unidentified flying object and your son's going along with this too it might be a little stretch. I'm not saying I believe him, but saying that lying and saying that I fought in World War II just to sound sexy is one thing to say I saw dead UFOs. No, excuse me, dead alien bodies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I held what initially what would call a memory uh, steel. Uh, it couldn't burn it, burn it or smash it or anything. That's a, that's a totally different story. Sure. I, I didn't. <laughs> I don't know about that. And it just sounds crazy to me. Okay, so... They interviewed what? You said like 90 they, they people? They interviewed 90 people. They interviewed one woman, older woman who was a kid at the time and said she saw debris. She comes up with a story. MP show up at her house, pretty much intimidates her and saying that, pretty much paraphrasing what she was saying. Um, this is a big desert. You get lost in it and no one will ever find your body. Uh, people were threatened. One of the, the, the son, the son of the person who met Brazil, uh, who initially found the wreckage, mm-hmm. refused to talk about it to his death. He absolutely refused to talk about anything Roswell. Anytime someone brought up crash at Roswell, he would run out the room. Mm-hmm. And he got to be pretty hefty, mm-hmm. pretty fat. So imagine a guy like, hey, remember that UFO uh, crash? And Roswell, you just see this fat guy just jet across the door, <laughs> out the door. Um, 
This is also from Marcel. He gives a story of, well, Marcel and another, the, the other Air Force, um, let's see, what was his name? Walter Halt. They give this story. And also from a nurse that was there uh, on the Air Force Base. They give this story that the Bernard, excuse me, Ballard Funeral Home in Roswell had been contacted to provide ambulance and mortuary service for Roswell Air, Army Airfield. Glenn Dennis, a young mortician who worked at Bernard Funeral Homes, received several phone calls from the mortuary officer at the airfield prior to learning the recovery of the wreckage. Glenn Dennis was asked about the availability of several of small sealed caskets and for his recommendation on the preservation of bodies that had been exposed to the elements for several days. Shit. His curiosity aroused, Glenn Dennis visited Base Hospital that evening and was forcibly escorted from the building. This behavior only incensed Glenn Dennis' curiosity. He arranged to meet a nurse from the Base Hospital on the following day in a coffee house. The nurse had been in attendance during autopsies performed on several small non-human bodies. Glenn Dennis kept drawings of the aliens that the nurse had sketched on a napkin during their meeting. The meeting was to be their last, and Glenn Dennis would learn no more about the alien bodies as the nurse was abruptly transferred to England within the few, next few days. He doesn't give the name of that nurse, and we don't know who that nurse was. Very interesting. And it's very also going along with some of the reports that witnesses say they small, saw small human, non-humanoid bodies mm -hmm. around the wreckage during that time. It does seem a bit strange to me, though, that the army would contract out to some civilian to build fucking caskets for aliens? Why do they need caskets for? They're not being buried like humans. Well, you're trying to preserve the bodies. If this is if this is supposedly your uh, alien race, you got to preserve them, and you also don't want everyone peeking in and just going, who was that? <laughs> who was that right there? It's so the you army. Can... Like, you can't build caskets on your own. You got to no, contract they somebody con else. They contract, for military deaths, they contract the mortuaries uh, around the country and around the world. So they, they, they can't build caskets. <laughs> Let's play devil's advocate for a second here. Yeah. What if it was an actual balloon, a military balloon, right. that had humans on it, and it did crash? Could it be possible that the caskets were for humans that died? But small? You're sending up little people? I mean, how small are we talking? You know what they I mean? Like said... From the description, I, I don't imagine you would want a lot of weight. Three feet to four feet. Three feet to four feet. Yeah, I mean, three feet's pretty fucking short. That's pretty fucking short. Man. I'm saying, like, you wouldn't want a lot of weight on a on a balloon, anyways. Right. So you're not sending up seven foot people. Well, why? Are you, why were you sending up people in the first place? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, it why? just seems crazy to me that like they would ask a civilian to build caskets for aliens. Like, what? why would you even involve a civilian for that? Well, you're going to, because they don't have Simple mortuary services on the base. There's no caskets. They don't have a plethora of caskets. 
you're going to call a mortuary service from the the surrounding town that you're in. They don't do they don't do they don't do that now. Nick, but what I'm saying is like they could have just built a box to put these fucking things in. That they need caskets. You're gonna sit there and you need them quick. You need to hurry up and transport them quick. You're gonna sit there and build a damn box. (laughs) You're gonna wait. You suppose that this is a UFO. You need to get this. Either to Washington or someplace else to study this quickly. Put him in a you're goddamn. Gonna sit here and go and build build a damn box. Put him in a goddamn freezer and ship him on an airplane. They don't have freezers back then. They can portable freezers <laughs> back then. You're talking about 1947. <laughs> it just seems a little weird to me. But it, okay. It's not weird to me. It's it, 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 it's it's this is they do this now. I don't know. They're not. Take aliens and stick them in. <laughs> but but military, someone in the military dies. They contracted to get them a casket. Um, unless the family decides they want to, the family next to kid decides they want to do that. The Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, that's when they do, they get someone to do mortuary services in, in the casket and then there. That doesn't sound weird to me at all. I guess it is a bit. Uh bad for base morale to have like a, a mortuary yeah, inside the base exactly for when you die it's like it's just waiting for you yeah, right 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 just pass by the undertaker just making a casket yeah, yeah, yeah. like you're no. next motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> so measure- slam your ass right in here before you go out to battle dude's like measuring your measurements he's like making sure the casket's big enough exactly anyway. it just <laughs> Yeah, and, and that story actually ended up also being told by Glenn Dennis after he saw an episode of Unsolved Mysteries back in 1989. And he describes the description of the Roswell autopsy, which we'll get back to in a few minutes. In a minute, okay. Because that's huge. Um, Let's get your thoughts so far. I've talked too damn much. I mean, your thoughts. <laughs> my thoughts on it is that um, this is during a time when, uh, and it's such a remote part of the, the country as well, like information is not easy to get across, right? right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about this rancher who, I'm assuming here, but maybe doesn't have a lot of contact with the outside world, so doesn't right. really... Would he even know to identify a weather balloon or a balloon or, or something like if he's never seen one before? Well, he's not, it's not his job to identify. He just saw debris. He, that's, right, but that's it. no, well, you say it's not his job to identify, but mm-hmm. he's describing what he saw, so he's identifying what he saw right. in his own mind, mm-hmm. for, you know, with his perspective. Right. So there's that portion of it to me. The fact that, um, you know, the accounts of the, the debris being an alien object only come from this man right. and nobody else. Right. Now... Well, there's other incidents. There's other witnesses who end up coming forward, especially in the later years. It's like, here, this is what I saw. There. Okay. This is what I saw. And some of it matches up with other witnesses' testimony. Some of it doesn't. It also troubles me, as I, as I brought up earlier, that... The fact that what this man found, the debris that he found, he didn't. What he was, his first assumption wasn't that it was a UFO, 
that opinion was foisted upon him. And then he took it in and said, oh, yeah, it must be a UFO. Oh, yeah. So it's not like he thought of it himself. Someone suggested it, and in his mind, the logic made sense, and right. that it's a it's an unidentified flying object. So those I have problems with, yes. Yeah. On the other side, the information officer releasing that press statement is highly dubious. Like, right. Why? Were you just being that honest? Right. It just why? Th- that part boggles my mind. Um, and then obviously, the introduction of the the fact that there were bodies, which takes us into a whole other uh, uh, strange strange story, right? Right. Right. Uh, that that part is is. Uh, that's the most mysterious part, right. is that there were actual bodies, uh, as they claim. Yeah, they're, they're saying that there's actual bodies that's attached to it. The military gives an explanation of what the bodies were, but they have to give the, they gave their explanation years later. And what did they say? They said that it was a part of a top secret, uh, let me see if I can bring it up. It's part of a top secret military ex- expedition um, to send children into space. No. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's part of the top scene. They were using rubber balloons and they were, they were testing them um, dummies. Okay. And launching them off of high high altitude on the balloons. Okay. Which is a um, true project. Here's the problem with that project. It didn't start till the 60s. I see. They didn't start in the 40s. They started in the 60s. That they were using test uh high altitude uh, test dropping dummies from high altitudes from balloons uh, to see uh, the effects of high altitude jumps. Uh, that didn't start in the 60s. So they said it started in the 40s and it explains to people who saw bodies, mm-hmm. alien bodies were mistaken. And also the people who saw alien bodies at the crash site, describes them between looking like children, three to four feet. These dummies are over six feet. Oh wait, people saw bodies at the crash site. At the crash site, there was who, reports of uh, various accounts of okay. people. I didn't, I didn't re- uh, realize that. Fast. Yeah, various accounts of people who came to the crash site before the army got there. <clears throat> um, They had testified and said that they, they were small bodies there. Um, but their, the, the government's program for the dummies that they're dropping, those dummies were pretty much over 200 pounds, close to 200 pounds, over six feet tall. I see. Because they're trying to mimic people. Now, with all the witnesses' accounts, that say that, that this was extraterrestrial. There, I have to highlight that there were problems with it. Um, hundreds of people were interviewed by various researchers, researchers, but critics point out that only a few of these people claimed to see debris of aliens. Most witnesses repeated the claims of others in a testimony would cons- consider hearsay in American court of law, therefore inadmissible as evidence. Of the 90 people claimed to have been interviewed for the Roswell incident, the book, 
The testimony of only 25 appears in the book, and only seven of these people saw seven of these people saw debris. Of these five handed handled the debris. Pelock, one of the researchers, and Roswell, inconvenient facts and the will to believe, makes a similar point about Randall and Smith's UFO crash at Roswell. Approximately 271 people are listed in the book who have contacted or interviewed for the book. And this number does not include those who remain anonymous, meaning more than 300 witnesses were interviewed and figured Pollock said the authors frequently cited. It goes on. Of these 300 plus, plus individuals, only 41 can be considered genuine first or second-hand witnesses to the events in and around Roswell or at the Fort Worth Army Air Force Field, and only 23 can be reasonably thought to have seen physical evidence debris recovered from the Foster Ranch. Of these, only seven have asserted anything suggestive of otherworldly origins for the debris. As the accounts of those who claim to have seen aliens, critics identify problems ranging from reliability of secondhand accounts to credibility problems with witnesses making uh, false claims of multiple contradictory accounts to dubious deathbed confessions or accounts from alien elderly and easily confused witnesses. Pallott noted that only four people with supposed first-hand knowledge of alien bodies were interviewed and identified by Roswell authors Frank uh, Crawford, Jim Ragsdale, Lieutenant Colonel Albert Lovejoy Duran, Glenn a Anderson. Duran is mentioned in the brief footnote in the truth about the UFO crash at Roswell and never again, while the other three have serious credibility problems. A problem with all the accounts, charged critics, is that they all came from from about a minimum of 31 years after the event in question, in many cases were counted more than 40 years after the fact. Not only are the memories of this old and dubious, uh, old of dubious reliability, they are also subject to contamination from other accounts that interviewees may have been exposed to. The shifting claims of Jesse Marceau, whose suspicions that he recovered in 1947 were not in this world, for interest in the in the incident in the first place cast serious doubt on the reliability of, of what he claims to be true. Yeah, I mean, those are really good points. Yeah. You're talking about of the 300 plus people they interviewed, you said 27 actually saw or handled the debris. 27? And only 7 of those said it was otherworldly? Yeah. While 20 others said it wasn't? Mm hmm pretty high number of people saying no right so that that's yeah that's a that's another thing about this thing you have you they claim UFO believers claim they have so many witnesses but a lot of them are secondhand accounts heard it from someplace else heard it from this person some of them they weren't even there yeah I mean <clears throat> Overall, I'm starting to definitely lean on the side that this is a, an elaboration. Like, yeah, and, I and think... Some, something that some of these people were involved with mm -hmm. and then, uh, you know, spent the rest of their lives talking about it mm -hmm. either to, you know, amaze people or to just make themselves richer. Right. Or, or just to tell a good story. Or okay. telling a good story, yeah. right, exactly. I mean, because you look at the... Let's lay down the facts. 
There's no physical evidence. None. No. Zero. And you have people who were there that day mm-hmm. first coming out and saying that it was weather balloon or like it was like a non it was something that originated from Earth. Right. Look, there's a quote right here from a homeboy here that says Which homeboy are we talking about? Marcel. Mm-hmm. Quote Actually, this material may have looked like tinfoil and balsa wood, but the resemblance ended there. They took one picture of me on the floor standing, holding up some of the less interesting metallic debris. The stuff in, the, the stuff in that one photo was pieces of the actual stuff we found. It was not a staged photo. Yeah, he but said it, that in yeah, 1947. He also said what, what I had said before, the debris that he brought in was not the debris with the picture he took, but was he said that thirty years later. Yeah, he also said what I just what I had said that he brought in debris. Then was it? They took it was gone. They brought in this new debris. He's also saying so. That's telling you right there. There's something up with Jesse Marcel's quality. Yeah, he keeps changing his story because. Okay, you could say he was scared into saying. Yeah. Saying this. Mm-hmm. But. 30 years later, he comes out like, they, there's nothing and completely do contradicts you're, it. Yeah, you're already, you're already going to die pretty soon. Anyway. <laughs> there's nothing they can do. So there's nothing they can possibly do. I mean, unless harm your family. Which but, is a very real thing, I guess. A real possibility, but you're saying two different things. Right. At the same time. And he's supposed to be the guy. The guy, because everything, everything that comes... Everything, the reports that come after, come after him. After him, right. He's the nexus of the entire story. Exactly. So, if his accounts are, are uh, wishy-washy, wishy-washy, then I'm not the sure if the entire story has any legs to stand on. Yeah. So, what is the U.S. government's official response to the Roswell Court? Here it is. In response to these reports, and after the United States Congressional Inquiries, the General Accounting Office... This is in the 90s, right? Yes, this is in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is 50, 50 years. Yeah. Almost 50 years. The General Accounting Office launched an inquiry and directed the Office of the United States Secretary of the Air Force to conduct an internal investigation. The results are summarized in two reports. The first report, released in 1994, included that the material recovered in 1947 was likely debris from Project Mogul, a military surveillance program employing high-altitude balloons, a classified portion of an unclassified New York University project by atmospheric researchers. The second report, released in 1997... Hold on, let me add. Whose primary purpose, these balloons, primary purpose was long-distance detection of sound waves generated by Soviet, Soviet atomic bomb test. Coming back to what I was saying earlier, yes. it wasn't a weather balloon. Blue, exactly. It was something to do with the Cold War Soviets. Yes. So. Uh, the second report, released in 1997, concluded the reports of recovered alien bodies were likely a combination of innocently transformed memories of accidents involving military casualties, the memor- memories of recovery of anthropomorphic dummies in a military program such as 1950s Operation High Dive, mixed with hoaxes perpetrated by various witnesses and UFO proponents. Operation High Dive, I just explained what the Operation High Dive, that was the operation 
which psychological effects of time compression and confusion about these events occurred explained discrepancy with the years in question. Now, I told you with Operation High Dive, it started to the, they said the 50s. It actually started in the 60s. Okay. Late 50s, 60s. Okay. So they lied about their part, which I don't know why they lied about it. But maybe you can, maybe there's some sort of connection. For national security reasons, I mean, you know, like I said before, the government is, in a, is between a hard and a rock place. They don't want to admit that they're sending these balloons up to detect Soviet activity. Yeah, but you lied about it after the fact. It's 1997. The Soviet Union is no longer there. You're not using these dummies. Well, they're lying about it in 97. They lied about it in 97. They say okay. it started in the 50s. It didn't start until the until the 60s, late 50s, early 60s, with Operation High Dive. And even when the 50s, I don't remember. It, there's no reports of the, those dummies crashing in the Roswell, New Mexico area. That's another problem. Well, here it says in the summer of 1947, a Project Mogul balloon launched on June 4th, 1947 and crashed near the desert of Roswell, New Mexico. That's Project Mogul. That's not Operation High Dive. Just saying. So they were using dummies on Project Mogul? So you're lying about one thing? Here's the thing. With this explanation. Yeah. Not saying saying the government isn't lying. They are lying. Yeah. (coughs) But they're not lying to cover up a UFO crash. They're lying up to cover up secret military research. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking that this whole case is about, which (laughs) I'll get to my conclusion at the end. But go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I mean, no, that's like the only point I want to make. Yes, the government is trying to cover up something, but they're not trying to cover up a UFO crash. Right. It's just what I'm... That, that's my conclusion for right. this. Mm-hmm. But, um, go ahead. I you so the Air Force was... Reports were dismissed by UFO proponents as either being disinformation or simply impossible to skeptic researchers such as Bill J. Class and Robert Todd who have been expressing doubts regarding accounts of aliens for years using important basis for skeptical responses to claims by UFO proponents. At the release of the Air Force report, several books such as Cal crossing the Roswell UFO crash, but they don't want you to know. But upon evidence presented in reports that conclude there's no credible evidence that the remains of extraterrestrial spacecraft was involved. In the 1990s, skeptics, even some social anthropologists, saw the increasingly elaborate accounts of alien crash landings and government cover ups as evidence of a myth being constructed. Yeah. I mean, probably for a lot of them. No, there were many incidences afterwards that yeah. we've talked about on your podcast that yeah. they definitely are trying to cover up right. something that happened. Yes. Like something for extraterrestrial. Right. Um, but not this one. I don't I don't think it's this one. I just don't. You don't think it's the government's covering up something? Oh, you do you think I don't think Roswell is a UFO incident. UFO in the terms of this balloon might have been an unidentifiable object in the air, but mm-hmm. not alien UFO. Right. I don't. I don't believe it. This one. Mm-hmm. There's not enough evidence, and the logic isn't there for. It. It, it just doesn't make sense mm-hmm. to me. Okay, so we have the government's response to it. Let's take a look at some other theories and some other hoaxes around. 
the major hoax is the alien autopsy. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. I think it was aired on Fox. Yes, it was. It was aired on Fox. If, you, if, if you're young, too young to know what we're talking about. In 1995, film footage purported to show an alien autopsy and claimed to have taken by the U.S. military official shortly after the Roswell incident was released by Ray Scavettini, a London-based video entrepreneur. The footage caused an international sensation was aired on television networks around the world. In the United States, this program was aired on prime time for the Fox Network, hosted by um, no. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Franks of Star Trek The Next Generation. Are you serious? He, yes. That's too yes. <laughs> I watched this program. Yeah, I remember seeing this too. We had, I, just, we had just moved to America and I'm like, this is what Americans are watching? <laughs> this is what we're watching. <laughs> <laughs> Man. It was, the way it looked, it had no sound. Mm-hmm. It was creepy. It, it was creepy. It was black and white, very grainy. But you were able to see what reported was alien being who had died. We're talking about like <clears throat> the classic gray alien. Gray alien. Big head, big eyes. Yeah, big eyes. And two people in uh, contamination suits doing an autopsy on what reported was an alien being that had. They didn't list saying it was from Roswell, mm-hmm. but lead towards this is mm-hmm. one of the aliens that crashed at Roswell. Look it up on YouTube. Look it's it creepy. up. It's still on YouTube. It's creepy. I have a tape of it. Yeah. I ended up buying a tape of this. A VHS tape. A VHS tape. I think it's still in my closet. Wow. <laughs> Not only Jonathan Franks presented presented uh program, but of the autopsy itself. <laughs> Come to find out, and it was also coming it was also accompanied by other footage that at first they didn't <laughs> show on television, but then because it it had like over thirty million people watching. Mm-hmm. So they ended up doing another part where they showed additional footage of of like stuff of like Crash debris. This is viral before the internet was. Yeah, right, and, and and they show one of the they show one of the people they had on the show was just Doctor Jesse Marcel Jr. Okay. And they showed the debris to him, and he said, "This looks just like what I had saw at Roswell when I was 11 years old, when my father Jesse Marcel brought home. This looks just like it." And also, supportedly, there was a what was an alien communicating with a U.S. president. <laughs> Supposedly, it was Harry Truman. Which was really no, great. No, man, it was Bill Pullman. What the fuck yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> Come to find out, this was a hoax. <laughs> now, Scantini, will say, and he still says it to this day, that this was a recreation of footage that he had saw of the actual alien autopsy, and he ended up putting it together 
like he had saw the footage, he saw stills from the footage, he wasn't able to get the footage. So he decided to put reconstruct the footage that he had saw mm -hmm. for this program. And presented he he went out and presented it like this is real. This is footage I found in the attic of someone who refuses to come out and say that I have this footage. He presented it like it was real. This motherfucker is so full of shit. And he had a lot of people believing in it. I'm sure he made a lot of money for He it. made a ton of money. <laughs> he sold it to Fox. Not only this was shown in the United States, this is shown all around the world. This is shown right. in England, the Netherlands, Australia, Vietnam, uh, Russia, uh, Latin America. This was shown everywhere to their big networks. And they all had to pay a fee so they could show this to him. He made a lot of money off of this, and he fooled a lot of fucking people, but eventually they figured out that this was fake. And it was bullshit. Absolute bullshit. But good bullshit. He fooled, he fooled Stan Winston. Mm -hmm. Famous um, special effects makeup artist before who passed away. And some of his studio, his top guys in the studio, like Stan Winston had created um, the Predator, the Alien, mm -hmm. um, well, him and Geiger, the Alien. Um, he did uh, special effects creature work for Jurassic Park. He was fooled. He was like, either this is the true thing or this is really good alien, this is really good makeup effects work because they cut into it. There was parts of it they showed they cut into this alien and it was actually bleeding. They were bleeding. And he fooled him. He was like, either this is this is a real thing or this is a really good hoax and really I'm going to hire the people who yeah, did right. this shit. <laughs> Find me that, man. Find me those guys because I want to point, bring them on to my studio. They brought UFOologist Stanton T. Freeman. They brought him on board to see... see uh, to see this, they brought uh, videographers because they literally this was elaborate. They filmed this on 1940s film. Really? Yeah, that's how elaborate it was. Okay. They cut no quarters with this. Interesting. But yeah, so that's one of the hoaxes. That's one of the hoaxes. And there's a fictionalized version of the creation of this footage and it was released in 2006 called, it is a British comedy called Alien Autopsy. I haven't been able to see the movie or whatever. Probably check it out. Okay. Um, that was one of the hoaxes. That was a major hoax. That was uh, another theory that was brought up that the Roswell incident, there were two crashes mm. at Roswell. There were two crashes. It was a crash they found <laughs> debris on, and another one they found another debris site, which they kept secret. Which was a couple of miles, I think, southeast of the Bay Debris crash site. That hasn't been proven yet. I mean, I'm not gonna go too much into it. What legs does that have to stand on? That it theory? doesn't have much to stand on. Yeah, it's a good story. Yeah, but not one, but two crashes. Two crashes. I guess it's possible, but yeah. Without any evidence, it's yeah. not believable. Mm -hmm. 
One theory that goes, this is written by American journalist Annie Jacobson in her book, Area 51, An Uncensored History of America's Top Secret Military Base, which was written in 2001, based on interviews with scientists and engineers who work at Area 51, dismisses the alien story. She dismisses it from the, from the fact that she's naming unnamed resources that claiming that Josef Mengel, the German scientist and physician at Auschwitz, was recruited by Soviet leader Josef Stalin to produce gross childlike sized aviators to remotely pilot and land in America in order to cause mass hysteria similar to Orson Welles' radio production of War of the Worlds in 1938. The aircraft, however, crashed and the incident was husked up by the Americans. Jacobson wrote that the bodies found in the crash site were children around age 12 with large heads and abnormally shaped, oversized eyes. They were neither alien nor sitting airmen, but human guinea pigs. That's a theory. It's a theory. <laughs> it's a stupid theory. Let me tell you why it's stupid. Grotesque. Okay, I'm going to break, break this down as quickly, in every area, as quickly as I possibly can. Josef Mengele, yeah, was one of the German, one of the German officers, scientists, and they were able to get away from any type of judgment whatsoever. Um, for doing experiments on humans, he, right? He did, he did experiments on yeah. Jews during, in, in Auschwitz. He got away, supposedly to Argentina, Latin America, mostly Argentina. For Josef Stalin to come and recruit Mengele is the dumbest thing in the world because the Soviets, unless you were in a particular field in German science, there was a death warrant on you. The Soviet Union had a death warrant on Josef Mengele. Mm -hmm. Dead or alive, we're going to catch you. So Josef Stalin working with recruiting Josef Mengler Seems silly. for anything is silly. Yeah. He wasn't a rocket scientist. Yes, the Soviet Union collected scientists who worked on rockets for Nazi Germany. You know who else did that? The United States. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's such you a want a proof of that? N-A-S-A. -A. NASA. <laughs> It's such a ridiculous theory. It's a here. Look, I'm going to continue processing this now. So let's say this did happen. You want to cause a mass hysteria like Orson Welles' War of the Worlds? First of all, with War of the Worlds, that's a myth that caused this mass hysteria. There was only a couple of small incidents of a couple of drunks going out there shooting at water towers, but it wasn't this mass hysteria incident that, that you read about in supposedly the history books. It was played up. It's a myth. It wasn't a mass hysteria. It's right. a myth that goes along with that radio drop. Right. If you're going to do something on that scale to be able to fool people, why would you go to Roswell, New Mexico? I mean, it's, it's ostensibly you, it's possible that it... Wouldn't you drop that in the middle of Times Square in New York or middle of uh, downtown L.A.? Well, that's what I'm saying. Ostensibly, it's possible that it did crash there, and that's not what they were trying to do. Mm -hmm. But again, ridiculous. It, it, it's a ridiculous theory, and... Uh, 
the book was criticized for extensive errors by scientists for the Federation of American Scientists. I don't know what Eddie Jacobson was smoking, but I want some of that. <laughs> it's a dumb it's a dumb theory. Just trying to cash in. Just trying to just trying to cash in. It's a dumb theory. Okay. Now it's time for what we think might have happened. Oh go. I won't let you give your theory. I mean, I've already kind of really stated it. I I don't have a... <laughs> what? Y'all remember when we had a clown problem? What the actual fuck was that? <laughs> it's on Reddit. Sorry. <laughs> Distracted. Um, yeah, no, my theory is that it, it uh, it's insane. It's, uh... Uh, uh, I think I think it's uh, from the people claiming that it happened. They're just trying to cash in, honestly, on a story. From the government's perspective, they don't want to admit to some experiments they were doing that were that was uh, sort of next level stuff from um, uh, that time, right? And for all the other people and the researchers involved and everyone else, it's it's interesting right. that this could have happened, right? right? So so it remains and because it's so it's so because it was like one of the first big incidents like this, it captures a lot of people's attention and imagination. And you know, even to this day, like you said, the city of Roswell's cashing in on this incident. Right. Um, I think it was missteps taken by the government in their explanation. Uh-huh. Um, at the same time, people's desire to want to make money off of this is what fueled the stories from being told right. um, continually. Uh-huh. That's my opinion on it. Okay. All right. That was Ogul's opinion. This is what I think what happened. During World War II in Nazi Germany, the Nazis were testing out different types of aircrafts to be able to use against the Soviets and the Allies. It also maintained air supremacy. One of the things they were testing was this saucer-type craft that um, could hover off of the ground. I forgot the actual name of it. After World War II, Nazi scientists were captured by both sides. Those scientists that had been working on that project was captured by the United States Army. They saw plans and schematics of this saucer-type craft. Mm-hmm. And they decided <clears throat> they, want, they knew they had to fight the Soviets. Well, they ancient been the Cold War. So they decided, we're going to build this. We're going to modify it with American technology, and we're going to test it out. That's what I think had crashed in Roswell, New Mexico. They were testing out this saucer-type aircraft. You could go online, and you could find this hover saucer-type hovercraft that they were testing out. Even when the uh, Apollo astronauts were practicing on, on Earth during their landings, some of the test craft that they were piloting kind of looks like those saucer type crafts a mm-hmm. little bit mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. a little bit I think that's what they were testing out 
it crashed badly. There was debris everywhere. That's what that farmer had found on his ranch in 1947. So when you come up with that first report, because the army, the air, army base doesn't know that they're testing this craft, mm -hmm. that first report makes sense. We found a flying saucer. Because they found because a flying saucer. Because they found a flying saucer. Mm -hmm. Then the higher-ups get involved. No, this is top secret. You didn't fact, find a you flying saucer. You didn't find a flying saucer. You found an air balloon. Now, why the government continues to lie about it, I don't know. But I do have a theory on that. Maybe because they don't want to admit that the military was stealing technology from the Nazis. Well, that's already been out of the bag, NASA. And also, if you look... Well, that the, was with the cooperation of scientists. Yeah, scientists. We're talking about them but stealing also, technology. But also, that's all in the bag, the B-2 bomber. Oh, is that... Okay. The B-2 bomber started off as a concept from Nazi Germany. Hey, Go back and look at old Nazi Germany um, airplane and aircraft designs. Mm -hmm. And there's one that looks very similar to the current B-2 bomber. Suspiciously similar? Suspiciously similar. Uh -huh. Only few alterations to the B-2 bomber. That's why they won't say anything. Because they're still trying to work with some of that technology to see if they can perfect it. I think with this flight, this this hover flying saucer craft, they tried it. It doesn't make any sense. You can't put any missiles on it. It just hovers over the ground. The best you can do, fuck it. You have to use certain type of air or water. It doesn't make military sense. It costs too much. Fuck it. We tried. It's military top secret aircraft. So what I'm, my question to you is, after it was shot, or I mean after it was, after it crashed, why didn't the military come and clean it up right away? Because it's a top secret aircraft. The Soviets don't have it. They don't know who spies around that area, because not only that, Roswell is near the sites when they first, when they tested atom bombs. So... You're testing atom bombs in the Soviet Union. You don't have an atom bomb yet. You're trying to figure out what, what, how to make an atom bomb. You're going to go to these areas and try to figure out what, how they're testing this and how they make it see if we can infiltrate and try to get it in. So they come up and clean this area real quick because you don't know if there's Soviet spies all around. We got to clean this up real quick. So they start threatening people. I think some of these people's accounts of them being threatened is actually true. But it's not because of they found a UFO. It's because they were testing top secret government Nazi stolen aircraft. So your theory follows along with what I'm saying. Yeah. But you're just elaborating on it a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. And people's memories start getting a little gray, a little grays. Start getting like after thirty right. hazy and stuff with 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 other stories. Betty Barney Hill, uh, Travis Walton. Um, television, Outer Limits, uh, 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 
Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Now, just to know. make it clear that this theory that we have working here does not apply to other incidents that happen incidents. afterwards. Yeah, because you have to, it, we, we, can, we, we go by the story that's put in front of us, right. and we analyze what the information is, and we come up with our conclusions. So we're, that, not, we're not saying the military made a mile-long uh, aircraft flyover of Phoenix, Arizona in no, 1997. Yeah, we're not saying that the military kidnapped Travis Walton and held him for five days. Right. So, but this goes to the Roswell. As a disclaimer. Case. Yes. There's other crashes out there that could be government or could be out from extraterrestrials. We don't know. But this case, this is clearly a case of U.S. government top secret information crash landing and they don't want nobody to find out about it. So, that's our theory. And that's the story of Roswell, 1947. So, if you're ever in New Mexico, go out and check out the Roswell UFO Museum. Go have a UFO burger. <laughs> Yo, keep their economy going. If you're going to be in capitalism, you might as well go someplace fun. So, that's Roswell. Any other additional thoughts, closing thoughts you have, Google? No. I do want to go uh, check out the area, though. Yeah, I yeah cool. I would love to, the one of those areas I would love to check out. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the only reason to go to New Mexico. <laughs> one thing I didn't mention um, when we were talking about the research is that I read before doing this podcast is that um, MUFON, yeah. the Mutual UFO Network, and another <clears throat> uh, group of uh, researchers that research UFOs, even among, the, among their ranks, there's a lot of um, divisiveness on the Roswell incident mm -hmm. of it being a legitimate UFO yeah. incident or not. So even like these guys who have dedicated their lives as a hobby or whatever to researching this stuff, half of them don't believe it. Right. So mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a point to be made that I was going to make earlier. I forgot about it. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyways. Yeah, well, that's uh, that episode of Weekend Weird. Uh, <laughs> cool. Thank you again for being on the show. Of course. Uh, yeah, a couple quick announcements before we uh, sign off for the uh, evening, day, whatever time you're listening to. Uh, we have... Uh, more stories coming up from Weekend Weird in the next coming months. Uh, Bell Witch. Um, pretty much um, other serial killers out there. Uh, again, the Bell Witch. Because, uh, you know, we've done four UFO stories. And one thing we haven't done any ghost. Yeah, that's part of the weird, weird weekend. So we do get back, uh, get up to doing a ghost story. So that'll be the Bell Witch. Also, uh, story of Chris Benoit. Uh, Elizabeth Baffery, uh, Spring Hill Jack, Bigfoot, H.H. H. Holmes, uh, be coming up Weekend Weird. Also, October, the month of October will be one year, Weekend Weird. And I've been teasing this announcement, uh, but I'm going to announce it right now. The month of October is going to be a big month for Weekend Weird. We're going to do three podcasts during the month of October. Yes, three total podcasts. The first podcast will either be the story of Ted Bundy or the Serpent Girl Murders. We'll do one, and then at a later date we'll do the other, whichever we decide to pick. Um, the middle of the month, the next episode we can wear will be, during the month of October, will be Chicago Haunts and Legends, where we take a look at some of the famous, take a tell the stories of famous haunts around the Chicagoland area. Which includes the Red Lion Pub, uh, Lincoln Park area, even the uh, Demon House, 
that stood in Gary, Indiana, because that was in the Chicagoland area, and also uh, the story of Resurrection Mary. Also, take a look at some of the other legends and myths that go around the city of Chicago. Why? Because it's history and it's our city. And the big episode, the big one-year weekend weird will be a live ghost hunt. We recorded with multiple, with myself and multiple people at an undisclosed location that's supposedly one of the most haunted locations in the city of Chicago. We will not name that location until the till the episode before. In that case, we're already recording because we don't want to be interrupted when we're doing our our ghost study. But it will be a famous haunt in the Chicagoland area. Me and multiple people, past guest host and new guest hosts, will be partaking in this ghost hunt. So cool. that's it, cool. Yes, it is. It's it's going to be extensive. We might one of us might disappear, but that's the, <laughs> that's the price we pay for journalism <laughs> in the podcast world. So. Again, I'd like to thank y'all for weekend weird wake up listening to this episode of Weekend Weird Roswell, New Mexico, the UFO incident in 1947. I hope you enjoy your Labor Day weekend. If you're in the city of Chicago and a professional wrestling fan, I hope you're enjoying All In Weekend at Starcast Convention. And kiss summer goodbye, cause it's leaving. For Red Nick and Ogul, my co-host for the evening. Thank you for listening to Weekend Weird. Stay weird, everyone. Because being weird is really cool. Peace. All right, I'll talk to you all later. Have a good night.